And Sergio Perez was so close to a fourth place finish, but unfortunately he was caught with Alex Albon in an entanglement. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. That was exciting. There are major flashpoints in the history of our world. Sarajevo, 1914. Pearl Harbor, 1941. Austria, turn four, 2020. Oh, boy. <laughs> Where do we even start on this one? Welcome to episode 247 of Motorsport 101. And uh, it's not a good sign when the name of the episode has already been called, quote, Red Car Bad. Um, <laughs> I was going to vote for a mass hysteria. Oh, well, you know, we haven't got dogs and cats living together quite yet, but uh, we're, we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Andre Harrison, as always, and uh, welcome to another session of Ferrari Drinkers Anonymous. So, sorry, Ferrari fans. Um... <laughs> With me, as always, with a a nice tall three ounces of bourbon, is Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hello. I I'm here live at the scene at this tremendous location where Albon not once, not twice, but thrice was entangled with a Mercedes. Oh, the humanity! Amazingly, you almost started crying at the end of it too. Um. <laughs> the only thing missing was a video camera, a red table, and us filming the whole thing. Oh, wait, that actually happened. Uh, funny that. Um, as always, Ms. Marjorie O'Connell is here as well. Hello, sir. Howdy. Uh, yeah, I uh, decided to take a thousand degree uh, carving knife to the latest Scuderia Ferrari, only to find that there was cake inside. Oh. And inside the cake were baked hundreds and hundreds of razor blades. They call them sprinkles. <laughs> That's what they call razor blades in Western New York. They just call them sprinkles. <laughs> this sounds like prison terminology already. It's like, here, you've got, you got some sprinkles if you cake, sir. Um, uh, when, with us as well is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, interesting to see that Ferrari's idea for reducing their drag problem is to have the rear wing snapped off of one of the cars. That's right. It's an effective DRS solution. Yeah, just uh, we, we had Charles Leclerc putting something on the end of it and then deciding to mount his teammate. <clears throat> Jinky. Mm. Um, and also, don't forget, we have Chris DeHardy here as well, but he'll be he'll be talking a lot more in the IndyCar section in the second half of the show. But because we're nice like that, go say hi, Chris, for a second. Hi, Chris, for a second. Uh, what oh a weekend. <laughs> Look, you told me to do it, alright? I didn't I tell you to do shit, DeHardy. <laughs> <laughs> we did suggest for him to wear the Rich Energy shirt. Oh. And for those of you who are watching along with us, our supporters, uh, Chris has the Rich Energy shirt and also a puppet of the Horsehead Mask. Yeah, I decided if we are going to go ahead and have some fun, let's go all out for this one. Um, yeah. Let's get weird. NASCAR has underglow like it's Need for Speed Underground 2. Sebastian Vettel might be going to Aston Martin Bob, next year. The cars Any have car lats. crowded a new winner. And Bob, do the cars have lats, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's another thing we should look at, talk about real quick. Um, 
Twitter actually had a, va- a massive uh, attack against it where a lot of verified accounts, in fact, almost every verified account could not tweet. And Bob Pockers decided... <laughs> Bitcoin! Bob Pockers decided just to, just to win Twitter last night and said, does my account have lights again? <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Look, thank goodness this doesn't affect any of us yet. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, it's okay. We have to be. We have to be more important than this. <laughs> we we are nowhere near important enough for that status just yet. We are we are we are staying uh, off the beaten path in in, in in motorsport context terms, kind of sorta. I don't know if you keep uh, if you keep having guest appearances, that might change. Mm. Keep writing books. <laughs> This man's a whole ass author. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Tell him about it. Buy Dre's book on Amazon.com. The Kick. How MotoGP rocked the world. I believe you'll know it shook the world. Thank you very much. But uh, <laughs> I was close enough. But, uh, yes, if I have to get the general housekeeping out of the way, I'll do that in just a second. We'll be talking about, obviously, the Styrian Grand Prix. Um, Ferrari deciding to uh, replicate Edge and Lita's sex celebration from Monday Night Raw. Uh, Lewis Hamilton with a lights to flag victory. And a Mercedes 1-2 because, hey, that's what we've been waiting all these months for, isn't it? Um, Verstappen. And third, we'll be talking about Sergio Perez's future on and off the track. Um, another chaotic end game finish, and another botched attempt at taking the knee. All of that in the Formula One section. Also, we'll be talking about the Formula Two and three rounds as well from quote unquote Styria. And then we'll get into the IndyCar section with two races at Road America. Scott Ronald Dixon taking his 49th career victory um, in race one, and a brand new winner in race two. And let's just say King Felix has well and truly arrived. Um, that will be a fun one indeed. And we'll get into the news as well because uh, we have not only not one but a doubly stacked edition of Fight Club involving top kick, drop top rope drop kicks, uh, and Bubba Wallace um, getting involved in verbal fisticuffs. You love to see it. Um, look, heavy talk about F1 extensions, MotoGP news as well. Um, a very very spicy story coming out of World Super Sport <laughs> as well involving our far friend and yours. The Kriminaka, um, which again is still one of the best surnames in all of motorsport, and I don't care what you tell me. Um, and Formula E as well. All of that and much, much more um, in this ultra stacked edition of the show. But places you can find us, and I, I guess that's uh, places you can find me, I guess, on, on, on this special occasion. Because yes, as of this past week, The Kick is now available live on Amazon. So if you want to buy a hard copy of a book that was written by me, somehow, of all things, you can now do that. Um, it is The Kick, the How MotoGP Shook the World, the story of the alien era in MotoGP including lots of chat about Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, Nicky Hayden, Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo, Casey Stoner, the entire story of the 2015 season, and of course, that incident in the 2015 Malaysian Grand Prix that pretty much redefined an era of bike racing as we know it. If you've ever been a fan of anything that I've written on the Motorsport 101 site, it's basically just that, only 35 times larger and quite pretty on the front. Um, So... I just want to say a, a, a great big thank you to Haley Mulcahy, who um, you, you probably know on Twitter as Haley Mulch. Um, she did the front cover. Um, you know, 
she she did a tremendous job as far as I'm concerned. Um, she really is the go-to person for for fan-written motorsport books. Um, so they that's they said she did a brilliant, brilliant job on that. Big thanks to Lewis Sudderby, um, who wrote the foreword for the book My Old Bike Live uh, Radio Husband, who um, you know I continue to be immensely proud of. He made his bloody commentary debut last week as well. Man's moving up in the world, and I couldn't be prouder of him. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't I couldn't have written that book without the inspiration of not only him but also Rebecca James, my old bike live colleague as well. So again, massive thank you to them. And of course, a massive thank you to everyone at Motorsport 101 for the encouragement, the kind words. I think 90% of the copies have come from them so far. So thanks for propping me up, everybody. I do really appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, there is a uh, there is a special section of special thanks in the back for um, for all of that. So big thanks to everyone involved that's that supported me and gotten me to this point where I can now call myself a published author. Which, if anybody knows me even moderately well is really goddamn weird to say, but here we are. Um, I could call myself a published author, which is all sorts of weird. Like I said, Amazon, uh, just Google the kick and Google my name, Andre Harrison, and, and, you're, and you're bound to find it on there. Also, worth mentioning, until the month of August, I've decided to donate £2 for every sale of the book towards Mind, the mental health charity in the UK. Um, I've mentioned it many a time before that uh, mental health is incredibly important, especially in us blokes um, in the UK. In fact, it is our, our unfortunately, it is our biggest killer um, in this country for men under the age of 45. Um, amazingly, is suicide. And uh, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of elements of mental health that, uh, that just unfortunately don't seem to apply to men. Um, you know, opening up, talking about their problems, maybe being more feminine, you know, you know, just masculinity in general, talking about your problems. We don't have, I think, a lot of the same togetherness that sometimes women do when it comes to supporting each other through our problems. So, um, of course, it mind is for everybody, but particularly as a as a bloke, uh, you, know, you, you know, I feel like it's something that means an awful lot. Um, so, like I said, two pounds from every sale through the month of August um, will go towards Mind as well. So, if, again, if you really, you know, want to support me and support a great charity, buy a copy and uh, you know, see me broke. <laughs> you know, that, that's always fun. Um, but uh, thanks to everybody again that's already picked up a copy. Thanks to guys that I've already seen send me screenshots. It's incredibly humbling to see people have spend their hard-earned money on something that I wrote, um, which is really, really weird to say the least. Um, sorry, there's a little bit more self-indulgence to come in the next couple of minutes. Um, I just wanted to say as well that uh, I guess friend of the show now, Jenny Gow, BBC F1 reporter, um, invited me on her show Fast Talkers this past this past Monday night. Um, I was on there. Um, again, I still can't quite believe that this has all been happening, but uh, I got an email about this a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, oh yeah, Dre, you, you, you want to be on the show? And I'm like, Jenny Gao, a person that I was watching doing MotoGP coverage on the BBC 10 years ago, is asking me for my opinions on motorsport, the pokey YouTuber guy. Um, it's, it is quite the thing to, uh, to... Uh, to you know, to, to be invited onto something like that. So if you haven't already, because Jen needs a lot more YouTube subscribers. She's she got me. She's got to speak for Twitter followers. She's got about seventy thousand of those, but um, not not as many in terms of YouTube subscribers. So if anyone wants to go out there and see me actually talk about some journalistic stuff and act professional in a shirt that was two sizes too big, um, check it out if you haven't already. Um, I was on there 
with uh, Mesaros Sandor from Hungary, uh, Mervi Kallio from MTV in Finland, um, and me, because <laughs> I've never looked so out of place in my life. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was very fun indeed. Massive thanks to Jenny for having me on, and uh, there may be more appearances coming. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. More on that soon, hopefully. But uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Jen, for having me. Check that out on Jenny Gow's YouTube channel, Fast Talkers Episode 6, with me. Um, you can't miss it. I'm, I'm the large bloke on the top left corner. Um, but uh, basically, you can find us real, real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. A bunch of videos on there. Uh, reviewing, the, reviewing the Styrian race itself in all its glory. Talking about Mugello being on the F1 cannon now. Uh, there'll be... There'll be Tons more content by the time this goes out. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, our handles are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917, and at C Dehardy. Um, there's, that's all of our handles. Got it off in one take. Beautiful. Um, we're also on our website, motorsport101.com. There's a new written piece by me on there on that, where I debate with myself regarding a new story we'll get to in the middle of the next uh, half hour or so regarding Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel um, and all of that. So that's fun. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, $5 gets you early access to all of our shows, um, although you can get the next two for just a buck. A special thanks from me, because our show on the first Austrian Grand Prix, we didn't have early access, so fair's fair. Um, $10 gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. Shout out to Sasha, to Jason, to Toki, um, and to Vic for, for tuning in. Much appreciated, as always. I need to take a breath for a minute. We'll be back to talk about the quote-unquote Styrian Grand Prix. See you then. Uh, I've got Ave Maria Synthwave in the background. Uh, plenty of copies available. All right, let's sit down and let's talk it Where's out. the bourbon? I am. Where's the fucking bourbon? <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell him about the bourbon. <laughs> We'd snuck it uh, in there I don't as know, a I think treat. To, I, need, I think Dre needs to, dra- he needs to graduate to Everclear. Um, um, just give me Clorox straight out of the bottle, please. I mean, um... It would be. Um, it would. What flavor would you like? Um, I salty lemon. Um, I would say no. Like it, this was. This was a bad time. We, we can't. Lock, I mean, I. I want to talk about the. I'll, I'll, I'll have a brief mention to say like, the qualifying was friggin' immense. Lewis Hamilton was on. Ah, that was, was on pole qualifying. by one point two seconds in a severely wet session. We had to mention that in there because it wasn't in our set list, but uh, it was one of the most bonkers qualifying Most. laps you will ever see. Um, moist is absolutely a, a a fair description, as far as I can, as far as I could tell. It was a uh, super beat him down by Hamilton on that occasion. And for any of those idiots that say it was the car, Valtteri Bottas was a second and a half behind him. So shut your damn mouths. Um, yeah, Hamilton and Verstappen were the only people in each other's leagues. Verstappen spun on his last lap. Hamilton didn't. Indeed. Yeah, Bratas uh, found out afterwards he had a glazed front brake disc, mm. but that mm. gap was still enormous. Glazed front brake. So it's disc. like a so it's like a Krispy Kreme donut, only significantly worse. 
<laughs> Got it. Um, probably better for you in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're actually better for your health. Yeah, probably. Uh, right, so, this... We... <laughs> I love that Sasha in the chat is more expensive than an actual Krispy Kreme. Yeah, that's 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 annoyingly accurate. Um, yeah, um, what I was gonna say is, is that yeah, like Charles, that was already one painful moment because Charles Leclerc got knocked out in Q2, was caught out by heavier rain towards the end of the session. But even then, not just that, in the heavy rain in Q3, Vettel was like two and a half seconds off. Yeah, he was hanging on for dear life. All that talk about, oh, oh, we, we might be better off in the rain. Nah. Nope. Nope. And to add insult to injury, Leclerc got a three-place grid drop mm-hmm. uh, bef- so by the time we got to the race. And Ferrari's new upgrades. You notice how it's just snowballing here. Ferrari's new upgrades, they ended up being only worth about tenth of a second a lap. Yeah. For yeah. a massive floor change, a brand new front wing. And, oh, they were hyping them up, and then Vettel said, that's not really a game changer. But surely this <laughs> has to be a massive difference in the race, right? Yeah, because, right. like, you, as you, long you know. as you get plenty of track time with these upgrades, you'll know how to develop the car further, right? Right? You, you know, maybe it's just a tenth of a second practice. It'll be far more in the race. And you should just mention that reason why Leclerc got a three-place grid drop, because he got a, a penalty for overtaking under the yellow flag in FP1. Ooh. Yeah, this was... And he escaped punishment for being at the point of no return, but he very nearly violated a red flag as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a red flag would normally mean you'll probably start in the race at the back of the grid. So, uh... Yeah, I got lucky on that one. And uh, as mentioned, hey, you know, as long as they get some decent track time going, it'll be a net positive to have this floor upgrade, right? Um, oh, no! What are you doing? Oh, no! Leroy Jenkins. Uh, okay, so, so the perspective. Sebastian gets a pretty bad start. He's already down two places off the launch. He's going into turn three under attack from Danil Kvyat. And then all of a sudden, they're already going three wide in, in, into turn three. And then next thing you know, Charles Leclerc goes for the apex of the corner, and then some change, um, loses control of the car, and then, and I, and I, for lack of a better term here, mounts the rear of Sebastian Vettel's car in a hellacious sideswipe. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I said at the time, it's Charles didn't hit Sebastian; he landed on Sebastian. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a hop, skip, and a hip check. Yeah, it, it, it was it, it was a flying press from Charles Leclerc on the back of a. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's car. Um, if anyone's ever seen Horlucha in the Pokemon games, it was a perfect flying press. Um, Eddie Guerrero <laughs> would have been proud of that one, uh, quite frankly. Oh, and a gore by Rhino! Yeah, but oh, my Lord. it was rear wing gone for Sebastian Vettel, and anyone who knows anything about these cars, you can't just remove and replace the rear wing because of the DRS systems integrated with the car. So... The minute that happened, Sebastian Vettel was out of this race. And Leclerc didn't have much longer to go either because that contact and active floor damage that was too terminal. Ferrari said it's not safe for you to drive out like this. So both Ferraris are done after being completed. A net total of five laps between them. And one of them basically only, only completed one of those said laps. I mean, yeah, this was... An unmitigated effing disaster for Ferrari on this one. Um, and despite what a vocal minority on the internet might say, 
this was 100% Charles Claire Slam oh, dunk. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. Last week, and we found out afterwards, it's, there's been rumors flying around that Vettel had a, a damper issue last week, and that's why mm. his car was just atrocious in the race. Oh, okay. But Benato was very quick to throw Vettel under the bus. For the spin, for the lack of pace, all that. Well, this weekend, last weekend, for this race, Charles put his hand up and said, I'm absolutely 100% at fault. Hmm. Benotto comes out in the media and says, now is not the time to apportion blame to our driver. (laughs) (laughs) And then he calls off the post-race press conference with the media. Would you like to tell them why he called it off? Oh, Jesus. I don't actually... Because Sebastian Vettel said, fuck y'all, and left without a word. Yeah, Vettel packed his shit up and went home. He went back to the bubble in the hotel. He he was like, debrief? What debrief? My race lasted 15 seconds. Like, like... Someone someone told him, Charles took 100% of the blame. He said, finally the media agrees with me for once. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, yeah. Apparently Charles dipped after a brief press conference appearance as well in the the media pen. But uh, yeah, Charles... To his partial credit, took 100% of the blame on this one. But we shouldn't have been at this point in the first place. Right, right, right. Yeah, like, we're we're at the stage now where he is clearly Ferrari's lead driver. And even even being in his third season in F1, you have to look at him as, you know, he's meant to be the guy that's going to be leading them for the next few years. Yeah, and now there are real expectations. Every four or five races, Charles just forgets his brain. Other than that, he's so fucking good. Yeah. But he's got to get this out of his system. Yeah, look, I I did a video review about this race, and I called it, I nicknamed it Quattararo Syndrome. And Mm. I, I, it's, I, I... I guess you could call it a version of Schrodinger's cat. The whole theory of you know you you put a cat in a box with a with a with a poison gas canister and, and it may or may not go off. You don't know, like like whether the cat's dead or alive until you open the box. You know the the idea of two different existences. That's what I've often said is the situation with Leclerc. Now I'll, I'll use Quattarara as an example because right he got a lot of hype last year in MotoGP as the potential Marquez stopper, the guy that. He's leading the charge to, and let's be honest, the sport is desperate to find someone that's on Mark Marquez's level. Good luck with that. Um, but uh, yeah, more on that later. Yeah, but uh, yeah, essentially, you know, that's a lot of it's been looking for the next Marquez and Quattararo from the time he was in Moto Three as a fifteen-year-old was getting a lot of that hype and attention. He finally came good on that last year. He had six pole positions in the field. Um, last season, and everyone was like, oh my god, is amazing, he's going to be the future of the sport, etc, etc. But then I also was quick to point out, you do realise he was 0 for 6 on pole conversion last year, right? He didn't win a single, no. he didn't win a single Grand Prix. No, I think hey. there's an important distinction to make, yeah. where Fabio, in theory you could say they haven't opened the box yet, Fabio's not at Yamaha's factory team. Right. Leclerc's at Ferrari right Right. now. And this is his second year. Well, here's the thing with Ferrari right now, and I know Dre mentioned it in uh, some of his Steering Grand Prix content. There was no Ferrari at any point in this weekend in the top eight. They're bad No Ferrari, no Ferrari-powered car. They lined up, I think, uh, 
what, five of the bottom six in the speed trap were Ferrari-powered? Yeah, five of the bottom including six. Including the two works cars at the bottom. Stone dead last. The, the very, Ferrari, very bottom. The Ferrari is definitively slower in a straight line than their own customer teams. Which are all terrible. Romain Grosjean was forced to have to make a change to start in the pit lane that they otherwise would have disqualified him for... They oh, broke Park Ferme regulations so that way his car would actually be safe to drive. That's not normal. Yeah, and like the talk about, you know, we need to get more uh, time and, and track data on the upgrades. They've got correlation issues. It's not going to fucking matter. Right. They brought upgrades thinking that they would bring a few tenths of the car. They brought a tenth over the race simulations. Yeah, because I know the lap. big the big upgrade package they're hyping is coming up this weekend in Hungary. Oh, not anymore. Yeah. Apparently now that Ooh. supposedly that's been pushed back to Silverstone. Oh Jesus! Yeah, mm. Ferrari's bad, y'all. So, uh, Carlos yeah. Sainz, you have any regrets now? Oh, all of them. It, it it feels like, obviously, you know, the whole Vettel going to Ferrari in the first place conjured up, you know, feelings of Schumacher and Ferrari. But mm-hmm. we kind of forget what Ferrari was before Schumacher and you know crew showed up. Mm. And oh, then for exactly Ferrari this. being good, like, I think it's hard for people to kind of understand. Ferrari being good in general is sort of an anomaly. For, it's it's up and down. The problem with Ferrari has always been they peak and they trough. And when they peak, they've got the fastest car and the best driver in the sport. When they trough, they're midfielders. <laughs> they what was the old Clarkson line that, like, every time Ferrari's road cars are great, their F1 team's bad and vice versa? Yeah, I don't know. The early two thousands Ferraris are pretty good. It made me think of that. Uh, it's before Schumacher got there, and remember, it wasn't just Schumacher. It was Schumacher, and he tore Benetton's core out to come with him to Ferrari. <laughs> people for people right, to replace their uh, old people course. forget that discrepancy. It was, yeah. Um, Ferrari. Every couple of years, they build a really good car, grab a couple of wins. Their driver lineup was always top notch. But they could never put it together against the likes of McLaren and Williams back in the day. Mark Webber is genuinely out here saying that Ferrari's problem is they're not based in the UK. To which, like, yeah, Ferrari tried this. They had a design committee based in the UK. And it worked. Until it didn't. They won a precise total of zero drivers' championships and zero constructors' championships in the time frame of the Ferrari that, that UK was only design perpetuated office. perpetuated by people that have the Union Jack in their Twitter names. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, like, Ferrari, I, I almost equate them to, in this current regulation set of, you know, the fat tires, the longer cars, almost like Ducati going into the 800cc era. They came in with Casey Stoner. They had a great car, great bike equivalent in 2017 and 2007 with Ducati. And then they just... Never fixed the problems with it. So even though they started off really well, arguably the best bike of the 800cc era, just to kick off, it never got better. Right. And everyone passed them by. Folks, and then it's as terrible. soon as, yeah. as but, soon like, as, you know, you have riding god Valentino Rossi get on the bike and he can barely score points with it. Now you've got Ferrari a few years down the line. They never fixed their big problems. And they have trouble scoring points on merit with pace. Yeah, but, like, the reason why I bring that up, 
because when when they had their UK design office, it was in the middle of a twenty year span where they failed to win the drivers' championship. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the the idea that an update package could fix the Ferrari, you know, maybe the next race or three or five races down the line, maybe that might not come. Maybe that maybe Ferrari won't be fixed next season or the season after. Maybe it'll take five years or more. We've been waiting for the Ferrari upgrade package that's going to make them the best <laughs> team in the sport for ten fucking years now. Yeah. Like, they it's coming had, eventually. They, they had, you know, in the last ten years, I'd say since, since the end of the appendage era, you know, end of 08, they've had three cars where they didn't just completely shit the bed relative to their... Um, their resources and their talent behind them. Right. Being 2010, 2015, and 2017, no titles. No, no titles for all of that. Plus the back half of 2012, where hey, as it turns out, back half of 2012, Ferrari's car actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, you know, nothing to show for it. Alonso cranking out a yield, or we crash on Raikkonen in, in Japan, and. Right, and say, yeah, okay, I guess we crashed now. Not a damn thing yeah, to show for it. Right. It's it's systemic. Yeah, right now we're in the middle of Ferrari's second longest spell without a driver championship. Before it, that was the eleven year period before between uh Phil Hill well, actually no, someone won at Ferrari after Phil Hill, but sixty four and seventy five. Like we're 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 getting close to that twenty. No, we're, year. Are we not equal? From 64 to, what, 75? Uh, yeah, 64 to 75. Uh, driver's title, we're longer, aren't we? Because 2007. Oh, yeah. We're 13 years. Yeah, they won and they the... haven't won the Constructors since 08. <laughs> which... 2008. And, and the Constructors, they won because uh, McLaren had one driver and then one person who was just there to fill the seat. Because you know Heike Kovalainen was only there to fill the seat and got no attention from McLaren. Right. Oh, man. And... You could arguably say that the only reason why they won the constructors in two thousand seven was well, we know why. Well, no, no. The thing is, no. The thing is, King. They would have won either way. It's just one of the cars would have been chrome and red instead of just red. <laughs> well, you know, either all right. Corporate espionage, baby. I, I, I don't want to talk about Ferrari being a hot mess anymore. Can we move on? Like, this is painful. If I may, uh, am, is anyone else starting to draw a, compar- a comparison between Ferrari this year to McLaren at Indy last year, where you think that you're just so big of an organization you could just think your way out of this problem when the issue is more deep-seated than that? Ferrari's been this for 50 years, Chris. <laughs> like, this, is, this, is, this isn't the new thing. <laughs> the only time Ferrari wasn't this was in the Schumacher, Rory Byrne, Ross Braun era, where they sealed themselves together in the team, where Sean, if one of us goes, all of us go. Sean Todd gets no love in this. Mm. Noted uh, noted Peugeot sport director, Sean Todd. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, should we talk about the man who won briefly? Yeah. Lewis Hamilton Lewis. broke out the belt. Really yeah, did. Th- really did. Th- a, a, a light he- to flag victory uh, for Lewis Hamilton in the end. I don't think it was quite a grand slam, but nope, because no, no he did not um, lead every lap. McLaren and McLaren got the fastest lap, which we'll talk about later. Because McLaren, low fuel, oh baby, <laughs> they're a quick boy. scenario um, set. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton, 
Lewis Hamilton won this race at like 50%. There was no one yeah. in the same zip code yeah, as the Mercs. Th- that's how it was. It was like Hamilton kept the whole shot. You know, Verstappen wasn't close enough to make a move, and that was effectively the end of the race. Verstappen did not yeah. have the pace to keep up in the first half, and then he damaged his car going over one of the curbs at turn nine, and that did, did, did him some end plate damage, and that led to. Valtteri reeling him in in the second half of the race, eventually passing. Uh, Bottas, Bottas just drove right the fuck around him on fresh tires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Shades of Hungary. Bottas actually overtaking him um, with about four laps to go. But uh, shout out to Max for at least putting up a hell of a fight because the first time Bottas tried it, my word, Verstappen uh, going around the outside to try and keep it through turn six. That's some uh, big balls driving from Max, if I do say so myself. Um, yeah, um, just. <laughs> that and Red Bull with with Verstappen had a cataclysmically bad strategy. Right. Yeah, mm. where where they decided to pit for their one single stop well before the halfway point in the race, being that Max was going to have to somehow salvage these tires to go r- the race to go like fifty laps. Clearly, uh, clearly lifted the strategy from the Ferrari twenty sixteen playbook. Uh, it was it was a nothing burger and. Oh my god, uh, Alex Albon. Cool. Alex Albon yeah. got fucking dropped this week. He yeah. was blown into the weeds. Now, the final gap, I think, was about 11 seconds. It's, a, it's with- 10.8 seconds on the 10. nose, but it was much larger than that throughout most of the race. I think the only reason one. why it was that, I think the only reason why it came down so much is because Verstappen had that wing damage. And Albon had, had, Albon had Sergio Perez in his mirrors the whole time. Yeah, fucking Max had the worst strategy they could have put him on and car damage. And was a pit stop and a half out of Alwan. Around a one minute, what what is this in the race? A one minute seven, one yeah, minute eight. One oh eight. Yeah. yeah. Roughly. He was about five to six tenths clear a lap of Albon. Albon was struggling to like when it was wet and qualifying, it looked like he was struggling with under oversteer real bad. So it sounded to me like the car just wasn't balanced at all. But what that's, a wild that's time. The Red Bull think this year. One week. Albon is incidental contact away from winning the race, and now he's now we're clearly going to be the... now we're going to be back to oh out low. But Red Bull made the wrong move. The, the thing is, I I don't think it's entirely Albon. I not. think it's just Verstappen's carrying a very bad car. Yeah, let's be let's be. I was going to get into that. that I think that's just the Red Bull this year. This Red Bull. It's like it has DRS open through every corner. (laughs) It has a very narrow window, and if you go outside of that window, this thing is fucking undrivable. Yeah. Um, Mercedes kind of pioneered this last year where they have a system where it drops the nose of the car at low speed. That's why the Mercedes was just untouchable in low speed turns. Well, Red Bull copied such a system this year and put it on the RB16. And it appears it's working too well, where it's causing the car to pin the nose really bad at low speed, and just the rear of the car wants to come around. They're doing what you do when you play Wipeout 2097. You want to take sharp corners, but you don't want to use the air brakes. You just pitch the uh, the nose of the ship down, Mm. because that's how physics work. Exactly. Exactly the same idea, and Red Bull just got it so far. Because there was a rumor that was teething problems, but I don't think it is. They've just gotten it wrong. And this has produced a situation where it's the Mercs 
with a yawning chasm out front, then Verstappen, then a yawning chasm to the rest of the field. Yeah. It's, it, look, if you have two cars where one of your two drivers is six tenths of a lap faster than anyone else in the same machinery, that's not ideal. And I don't think that's all on talent. Um, look, we all know it's Verstappen's team. We're not going to hide around that. Everything that Red Bull yeah. has done in the last half decade has led to this, with Verstappen being the, the vocal point of the team. But I don't think this is all talent. And, you know, as, as RJ alluded to, like, I know the the first Austrian race was not really representative of the of, of the field, given we had three safety cars in it. Yeah, um, much different race, but, uh, different grade. But it is kind of funky how Albon was was, was probably going to win the first race of the season if it wasn't for the Hamilton pit maneuver, as I've now nicknamed it. Um, and uh, yeah, now a week later, he is looking extra strugglicious. You know, 35, 40 seconds behind his teammate before that end of race pit stop. Which, by the way, shout out to Red Bull for putting Verstappen in for a fastest lap attempt and releasing him right in the middle of traffic. Way to go, Red Bull. Uh, very, as I said, <laughs> very clever. As I said, 20, 2016 Ferrari strategy. Uh, fifth place. Let's talk about him. Mr. Excitement. He's back. <laughs> Everybody gangster until Lando select scenario seven. <laughs> Dude, this was wild. So, looks like with a couple laps to go, it's going to be either Albon or Perez taking the fourth spot. Perez tries a lunge. Oh, no, he breaks his front wing. That's no fucking good. Yeah, basically the same same maneuver as what happened with Lewis and Albon last week, only... It was front wing to rear tire rather than tire to tire, and it snapped front wing off of uh, Perez's car. Not all the way, though. Instead, it was an extreme low drag configuration with the wing angled back all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Literally generating lift. Oh, dude. Yeah, a little bit faster than taking flight. We know about Mercedes cars and taking flight. Oh, man. But yeah, I, that, that dangly front wing will become important later yeah while perez is trying to chase down albon by the way and trying to keep his wing on his car uh lando norris is at the back of a three-car train which also includes daniel ricardo and lance stroll uh stroll tries a dive bomb pass going into turn four that pushes both of them wide opens up the door for uh for norris to eventually get past them both and then with just two corners to go you think wait a minute Wait, didn't Norris already get around Stroll? No, that's Perez! Is that Perez? <laughs> oh my goodness that is, me. That is Perez with a lift-generating front wing. He did not come in to pit and change the front wing because that would be more time lost than he actually had Yeah, 25 seconds. So he's... Ex- he's chronic understeer, just dragging this car around, trying to get it to the finish. Yeah. Um, and it led to a very dramatic photo finish, free wide going over the line between Ricardo, Perez, and Stroll in the fight. In the fight for sixth place, um, yeah. And eventually, Perez did just about hold on to P6 over Stroll and Ricardo. Amazingly, again, Stroll ran Daniel Ricardo four wheels off, beat him in his own game. The stewards looked at it and then decided not to punish him. What? <laughs> like, remember, remember the. Uh, I mean, at this point, I think we can accept the fact that the you have to leave one car with a space rule is dead. So, yeah. and also, I should point it out. Technically, the race classification is yet to be official, 
because <laughs> because number one that that racing incident is still under investigation. Oh really? And something else we'll get to later is also still under investigation. It's Thursday. Well, for the first one, it's Thursday. <laughs> Lando Norris incident? is so it's much fun. Yeah, look, look. Yeah, second Lando year Norris, Lando uh, Norris is so much fun. Yeah, poor Lando. Yeah. Oh, we have all suddenly great drive once again. We have all suddenly become Lando Norris fans. My God. Um, <laughs> well. Poor, well, I'd say poor one out for his teammate, but there's reasons why I don't like Carlos Sainz anymore. Yeah, that's... that's. that's I mean, he Carlos still Sainz. did salvage fastest lap, although, to be fair, he may have been driving a little bit angry because, uh, ooh, that, uh, yeah. that pit stop they put him Oof. on. Yeah, ooh. Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz was before, ahead of all the others, best of the rest behind, uh, the Red Bulls mm. by a margin, and then McLaren fucked his pit stop. Lost about seven seconds in there, and that put him from probably fifth all the way down to ninth. I want to give a shout-out to Esteban Ocon that probably would have also been in that group for fifth place, but uh, again, another mechanical failure from the Renault department on that one. Uh, Identical mechanical failure. Another radiator failure. And, <laughs> so you mean to tell me that this Renault overheats? Not ideal. This Renault overheats. This Renault... I mean, with what we know about the Renault engine, that chassis must be pretty damn good. <laughs> Sounds promising for a fucking change. Yeah, and they're still getting dicked by their customer team. It's wild. All right, so I'll run down the results real quick, and then we'll get into the other nitty gritty that comes around it as well. Lewis Hamilton winning uh, the Styrian Grand Prix by thirteen point seven seconds in the end over his teammate Valtteri Bottas. Yes. You're all shocked. It's a Mercedes 1-2. Haven't you missed F1, everybody? Yeah, Red Bull 3-4. and four. Max Verstappen, a comfortable third ahead of Alex Albon in fourth. Um, uh, Lando Norris again winning the best of the rest chase in fifth ahead of Sergio Perez by a nose. Well, a dangly nose over Lance Stroll in seventh. Mm. Daniel Ricciardo eighth. Barely two tenths of a second covering all three going over the line. Fun times there. Also, shout out, Daniel Ricciardo was the last man on the lead lap. To give you an idea of how big of a beatdown this was, they actually stayed with that final lap chase on the final lap with all three guards going over the start-finish line, just as Hamilton was coming round the final corner to win the race. Um, so what, you mean uh, You mean on the final lap we didn't just watch Hamilton sipping on fucking tea, driving around one hand? Yeah, backwards. <laughs> he, might like as, he might as well yeah. up throwing up his fist in the air and making all the vote leavers mad. Yeah, something like that. Because he celebrates it. another poll to win. You adore seeing. Yeah, not only that, he gave us the black power salute on the podium, which was awesome. And mm. shout out to Stephanie Travers, who got to uh, take the Constructors' Trophy. Only the ninth woman, I believe, ever to uh, take to the, accept the Constructors' Trophy on an F1 podium. And because she is Zimbabwean-born, the first black woman ever on a Formula 1 podium to receive a Constructors' Trophy. Powerful stuff, love to see indeed. The uh, rest of the points real quick. Carl, like I mentioned, Carlos signs in ninth again. I was unlucky due to that pit stop at the end, but does get the bonus point for fastest lap in ninth. Daniel Kvyat in tenth. Good drive from him in the Alpha Tori. Uh, ahead, of, ahead of Kimi Raikkonen in P11, Kevin Magnussen, you know, Haas, Haas were just happy to make the flag, Kevin Magnussen and Romain Grosjean on top from 13th, Antonio Giovinazzi 14th was asked to make way for Kimi Raikkonen in the late stages, Pierre Gasly who had a damaged car and was forced to run the hard compound tyre. 
that didn't go well for him. Um, in 15th place, George Russell, who went for glory after qualifying in 11th place. Yeah, we barely mentioned it's George Russell after 23 attempts, finally making a Q2 and then bidding it on the opening lap. <laughs> George! He might have gotten George. hit. He, George! Got, I'm I think so he got done hit. with you! Didn't he get hip checked by K Mag? We didn't see it on the hard I think camera. It was later. I don't know for sure. Uh, um, may have I done. Think this, yeah. I think the hip check. I think the hip check was a separate incident. Might have been. Can we shout out as well, uh, Valtteri Botas telling Antonio that he's number one? <laughs> uh, when, when, when some bat markers rolled up, it was a great tribute to Lazy Town. Um, <laughs> Slickers the Tifi in seventeenth, and as mentioned, three DNFs, another radiator failure for Esteban Ocon, and uh, both Ferraris. Reason being sexual intercourse. Um, right. <laughs> note note that uh, no Ferrari power in the top ten. None. Yeesh. Remember. Aerodynamics are just for people who can't build engines. Well, if you can't build either, then <laughs> if you can't build either. Yeah, the high, the... You're light. You you are life racing engines. Yeah. Um. As it, as it says, as it says at the bottom, which we'll, we'll get into the next segment here. It says at the bottom of the F1 page here. Note. The classification of both racing point cars is provisional, subject to the outcome of any decision Ooh. concerning a protest over their legality from the Renault team. King, take it away. <laughs> Oh man! So basically, we we got the thing that that we've all been waiting for since the start of testing. Someone is protesting the legality of the racing point cars. In pretty much to boil it down, the the rule that constructors must construct their own car, uh, as the racing point is fairly similar. To the Mercedes, and I think it boils down to obviously uh, the bodywork itself is a part that's listed as something that needs to be of your own design, which again, side by side, almost identical, and also the brake ducts as well. The brake ducts are very, very similar. They're not the just things. similar. The brake ducts, the front brake ducts on the racing point, are. For all intents and purposes, identical externally to, I think, the third of four revisions the W10 had last year. So they had a few different uh, designs. Now, I, what I like to call it is the when people make the meme about, oh, the Haas is a Ferrari clone. The Haas is a concept clone. It shares parts like the nose and the airbox shape with the Ferrari, but a lot of the detail is very different. If you look at the side pods and the barge boards, they're very different. Right. The racing point. <laughs> you yeah. can change, you can interchange actual individual fins and parts with the W10. Now, copying on that level externally through photography is legal. Right. If you take it to that level, it's still legal, but people yeah. are going to ask questions. But the big question for this protest is, and I think Renault were very smart, rare, to do this. The brake ducts. You can copy the outside of a brake duct all you want. You can even copy the cake tin design just from a picture with the wheels off. Mm -hmm. If the internal ducting is the same as the W10, we got problems. The, that raises some very big questions on who actually designed the Racing Point RP20. Especially when their upgrades, their upgrades, as I mentioned on last week's show, 
their side pod flow conditioners were off the W10 in Japan, and their rear wing end plates were off the W11 in Australia, the parts that were unraced. So, again, uh, the FIA's official response to the protest, it it seems like it's specifically about the brake ducts, that that's specifically what Renault think is in violation. I think it's a toe. I think them doing that is a toe in the water. I appreciate their pettiness because I think Renault clearly did not forget the time Racing Point snitched on them for that brake bias control system. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was that was illegal, and Renault filmed it and put it on YouTube. Yeah. So so (laughs) the, the thing is that it's not a toe in the water. It's if they get caught for this, this is. Pretty much. Yeah, I, what I mean by toe in the water, okay, this is something that we can check relatively easily. If it, if the internal ducting is the same, then it's probably a slam dunk. And yeah, then, Worst case scenario, you're talking about a team getting thrown out of all their results thus far. And having to redesign far. key components of the car. Yeah, but that component, if they find that, then it's free real estate for the rest of the grid to start protesting parts of this car. Yes, and and the thing is that the FIA will have groundwork to double check everything because yep. they'll they'll have all the they'll have their own schematics of all the cars involved in the protest because they seized mm. a racing point and a Mercedes. To yeah, they've demanded that Mercedes supply the spec of brake duct most similar to what the RP-20 uses. They seize them at the border and are demanding (laughs) ransom in the form of one or four brake ducts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... Remember how, you know, King, you and I remarked on this in our season preview 27 years ago. (laughs) That... BP before pandemic. Man, when they revealed that livery, when they revealed the BWT livery... They showed a 2019 racing point with upgrades. Yeah, it was clearly not last year's car, but it wasn't the car they pulled up with in testing. Nope. (laughs) I wonder if that might make an appearance sometime this year. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Though, the foresight to build, to develop a car that was never intended to race to literally have a backup car in <laughs> case the first car got disqualified. Oh, good. Lawrence stole you genius. At this point, you have to respect the hustle. <laughs> you're devel- you're helping develop two whole cars, and now soon you're going to have two new sons. Oh. Yeah, and- More on that later. People are not, uh, people are not happy with, uh, with this. Some saying, well, of course it's different. Like, these two parts on the car are different. Therefore, it's a totally different car. That really doesn't fly. That stopped flying back when Super Aguri would just buy last year's Honda, change the homework a little bit so it didn't look the same, and then show Toro up the just year. dropping a whole new engine in last year's Red Bull and it actually being better. <laughs> and then winning a race at Monza. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. And keep in mind, Racing Point, I don't... The first two races have had circumstances where they haven't been able to show what that car can really do. Yeah, On actual they, pace, they are, like, dead even with Red Bull. They yeah. want to keep these points. For Like, Perez was fighting with Albon for fourth, 
He had to start, what, 17th? Yep. Yeah, he came from 17th on the grid to come grid. out of the way as 5th. Like, he won driver of the day with most of the boats being cast before, you know, the contact and him coughing up the 5th place. Mm. But that was still a damn good drive. Yeah, yeah. For, like, for everything that we have laid out so far, it was going to be round of the fall of the protest no matter what. Of there, it was. The only other team that maybe had a stake in protesting the racing point was McLaren. And, Mac- but, and McLaren like, shot that down saying, we, we reckon there were no grounds for a protest. <laughs> yeah, Andreas yeah, Seidel's and- been very vocal that he's completely fine with the racing point. Oh, and keep in mind, last week we had a protest thrown out by Red Bull. Thrown out for early. Red Bull. Very quickly. Early because the FIA said there's no grounds for this. Yeah, you need to have the evidence. Yeah, if the FIA is impounding parts and they're actually following through with this protest, that probably says a lot. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So, so the the FIA obviously they're they're the adjudicating body. They they're the people who make the decisions. Yes, they investigate protests, but. They don't want to do most of the legwork for these investigations. They don't want to have to investigate every minor protest because you think you have a hunch or something. You have to show up with with undeniable proof that that your protest is valid. So what do we reckon, boys? Uh, it's going to depend because, as I said, copying from photography is fine. Copying something because you got a part from a team last year, and now you put it on your car, and oh, if we change this, this, and this to be the same, then it'll work the same. That's questionable. If you have internal ducting that's identical, and we won't know until the FIA rules on it. Mm. Do you think they'll make Mercedes accountable for any of this? No. Mercedes will probably get a stern talking to, but nothing more. So, yeah, yeah, the the seller is never at fault if a customer decides to enter your car in a championship. It's... The seller's never at fault. Yeah, it's like... Um, Yeah, it's much different from being scammed on eBay. Yes, it's... Yeah. uh, It's... The the only question is what Cam said, the the internal features. Because assuming that Renault know everything that the general public knows, it's still a big leap because they themselves don't know the internals of both the Renault and the, I mean, of both the Racing Point and the Mercedes. The only people who do are, the only people who do are the people who designed it. Now, whether those people are working in silver or the people working in pink is yet to be determined. Yep. Well, we don't know if those are the colors actually where it works. Some of those pullers are are in other colors. We don't know that. That's fair. So yeah, more. But um, um, yeah, I think the FIA is having a meeting on this um, tomorrow, and I think we'll get some mm-hmm. more details on next week's show regarding that. So do yes, because this is going to be ongoing. It's going to last a couple weeks, maybe mm-hmm. even a month. Uh, yeah. But yeah, who who would guess that this would only be one of two big stories at Racing Point? Yeah. Jeez. More on That's that in the segue. Yeah, more on that in the news section down down the road later on. We'll bundle in with the other with the other drivers' talk stuff as well. Because there was one big other bit of point that we wanted to mention on this show, kind of a follow up to what took up a significant part of last week's show regarding 
right. regarding the end racism protests. And I have to make one quick correction from last week's show. I, that, that, in all fairness, I had to mention because I did listen back to last week's regarding regarding Carlos Sainz. We said he did not take a knee on last week's show. Turns out he actually did. There were pictures of him on the grid doing so. He was just late showing up to the ceremony. So, so uh, it it should be noted that like it appeared that a lot of people showed up late. Like I think I, I mentioned that Antonio Giovinazzi also wasn't there. Mm. Uh, a reason why we all thought this is because the world feed cut away. Yeah, this time around. Yeah, yes. this was a terrible fucking look. Like, we piled on the drivers last time. Now it's time for the production crew to get their fair share of the blame, because this was not a good look. The skydiving wasn't even live, for crying out loud. Oh, Christ, that's even yeah, worse. This was... I didn't know that. They, they, they phoned this in so fucking bad. It, 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 it was a bodge job, and it, they, they cut away early, and it was embarrassing, and I, let, I think Toto Wolf said that the entire Mercedes team took a knee in the back, but again, the cameras did not show it, um, which again is is a terrible goddamn look, and like we said on the world feed, we got pre-recorded skydivers instead, so... Whoever botched that, that was not very clever. Um, well done, TV director. Um, well done. I mean, how did we get to this point? We're, we're okay. We're going to do this whole thing to show that we were completely against racism, guys. We're all against racism, right? Right. We, well, we're all fine with this. And then show up. Oh, damn. Some people are actually really into this. Oh, man. I thought this was just, you know gonna be a formal ceremony thing people are actually showing support against racism what oh my god it was it it's more than just a flavor of the week oh shit yes it's almost like there's more to be in a protester than just showing up once taking a knee and acting like that's the end of the story hey it's like that meme of david guetta pretty much like solving racism by just saying yeah shout out to george floyd and his family and it just starts. Oh man, it's like that once a mo- It's like that one time a year where for a whole month we pop on a pop and act like we care about veterans. Did James McLean? Did James McLean just join the podcast? Oh lord! Um, Brexit Twitter is going to be very mad at me. Um, thanks a bunch, King. Um, it's okay. Right. Well, in the. Um... In the, in the immortal words of a wise man, fuck him. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, King's absolutely right, by the way, um, in all seriousness. But yes, um, they did cut away from this. And uh, look, I've said it before that I think Simon Lazenby is the F1 anger equivalent of a stick of celery. Um, he's largely inoffensive and just happens to be there. But when Simon Lazenby actually has to go out and make the point that isn't it important that we keep the pressure going and, you know, referring to, you know, isn't it important that we keep the message alive here by continuing to do this? And he actually called out the world feed itself again for, again, like cutting away from a moment of reflection to have a pre-taped skydive instead. Um, it just, like, Lazenby pointed out those inoffensive, incontroversial man presenting F1 out there. And even he was like, guys, this is bullshit, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. which kind of just says it all, really, about the situation. And again, we had 16 of the 20 drivers not, like, take a knee. Four didn't. Um, again, I would, I would chalk off Carlos Sainz, because, again, they didn't show the pictures of it last week that apparently he did take a knee. Um, again, like, I think Gio changed his mind. Uh, and, and 
Again, I would yeah. love to know what changed his mind because again, I'd like this, and I'd love to just pick these people's brains and yeah. see their reasons for not doing this. And yeah, and, and Lewis is out here already saying like he's going to have one to ones with everybody that hasn't come around yet. Yeah, which of course is going to open up its own different discussions. Yeah, because um, a lot of people on Twitter I, are starting to get more and more defensive about this. It's like, oh well, you know, isn't this just a distraction from the message and. Uh, like uh, which- what I loved is uh is is people people flaming Lewis constantly. Oh, see, he's washed. He wasn't on pole last week. Puts in one of the greatest qualifying laps in the modern F one history. Yeah, and and it's it's you know Delicious. such an awkward thing seeing everyone on social media because it, it feels like obviously there are people who you know are. are Against the protests for their for their own personal reasons, <clears throat> uh, but they're <laughs> but they're also people who don't want to be critical of the drivers they liked beforehand, and it's always awkward seeing them defend their drivers despite you know all all their other all their other takes on social media being normally anti-racist but when it comes to your favorite formula one driver and them not being anti-racist you're you're gonna defend them look listen to the end of stan again it doesn't end well yeah it's <laughs> it's it, it, it it's not ideal to say the least and yeah like it's almost like hey you know we can have all these anti-racist talks and but then if your favorite driver you know, doesn't take part. It's okay because he's your favorite driver, and it's like, uh, oh, you know, he can he, he can stand. You know, he he's he's he. It's okay if he doesn't stand. Look, look, people. I've I've butted heads with about half a dozen people who got after I retweeted Luke Smith's, Luke Smith's tweet about this yesterday about Hamilton having one to ones or today at the time of recording, and about half a dozen people have got in my mention saying, you know, is isn't it okay that you know if he if he if he does if he stands, you know, it's it's diluting the message. Dude, Union Jack Twitter was like on you yeah. all day. Yeah, like th- this is this is no, this is exactly why we're having these protests because condoning this kind of behavior is not okay. Because no. if if you're willing to defend. If you're willing to defend a racing driver you probably never met before, then you're probably willing to defend people in your everyday life who do this. Kimi Raikkonen has been my boy since 2005 in Japan. He's acting like a big dum-dum. He's acting like a big dum-dum. If you're... His whole brand is not giving a shit, but please give a shit. This is the one time where hey, you're, if you're gonna sw- give a shit this, about anything. This is the one thing where you're meant to give a shit. Like it's not cool right. if you if you act like you don't give a shit. And again, it's the whole the biggest argument I've heard against this is the quote that everyone should be allowed to do this in their own way. And I again echo the point that King made last week. If you can't even show a basic public gesture, why the hell should I believe you that you're gonna do it? Once the cameras stop rolling, it's like it, you're giving these white people a benefit of the doubt that they do not deserve. And if you're not going to do it for free, good publicity, you're probably not going to do it at all. And, that, and that's what's just so frustrating. It was like, look, 
No one is say no one is holding a gun to the back of Kimi Raikkonen's head and saying you have to do this. That's the point. Of course, you're allowed to stand if you don't want to take a knee. In or Charles or Mats. I love me some Charles and Mats, but they're not handling this well. Yeah, the the thing that is that people people aren't mad that the drivers are allowed to stand. They're they're mad that the drivers are being held to account because they stood. Right. And uh, that there's like people don't want any consequences for not taking part. That's just well, it. Well that's just that just goes back to the usual thing in sports where people don't want their favorite sports person to be held accountable for their actions. Right. And it's, it's like like again, Union Jack Twitter going after me. I I made the same point every single time. Why is it that, you know, again, that these drivers are absolutely allowed to stand during these protests. No one is stopping them from doing that. Of course, that's their right. The right to protest works both ways. You can have, you have every right to protest. You have every right not to protest. However, I'm sure as hell allowed to ask questions as to why you're so wishy-washy on this start. I am allowed to ask why you think it's okay to wear a shirt that says end racism, but taking the knee is one stage too far. And look... Some of the reasons and some of the other things I've seen on the internet are, unob- are objectively dumb. Max Verstappen saying that racism is complicated. Stupid statement. It is absolutely dumbfounded. It means you don't care, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Charles Leclerc, who, who clearly does not want to piss anybody off, but he's too busy liking tweets that says, Black Lives Matter is a left-wing Marxist organization, and therefore it, it negates any reason to take any whatsoever. I've had multiple people DM me screenshots of his likes, and they've reached out to yeah, me anonymously because like, they don't want to put it out there in public. Because again, yeah, like a pe- lot of these drivers are choosing to be ignorant because number one, it's easy. Number two, they don't care. Uh, yeah, and the- yeah. You're, you're expecting a rich. You're expecting a very rich kid who grew up in Monaco. I mean, I mean and it goes back with Charles. Like, look at him. Going back to Monaco, we didn't even mention that he went outside the bubble. Him and Val, yeah, him and Valtteri, and then Valtteri did it again. Val had reasons to do so. Charles just wanted to go home for a bit. Yeah, Lando's rib cage was falling apart. Yeah, that's the thing. Valtteri, when he went home, he actually did. Um, he stayed within the bubble. He didn't go around anyone. Charles went out and partied. Yeah. Look, some of these guys, and not to distract I- from the original issue, you're expecting you know people who have had very pampered lives let's let's be real mm-hmm. but it, it, it comes off shit. It, it comes yeah. off as them not only one not caring about an oppressed group of people yeah uh, yeah it also comes off as two not caring about their co-workers because their co-workers are clearly taking part their co-workers within their own teams mm-hmm. yeah they said Mercedes, the whole team knew. Yeah, everyone in Mercedes has taken the knee. Again, Red Bull, we made this point last week. Verstappen, the only member of their team who didn't. Again, and how terrible a look that is. And look, I mentioned this before, and again, like, I I, I, I kind of gave the Nil Kvyat a pass. He explained it was part of his culture. I'd also like to say that that was 800 years ago, where, you know, again, in Russia, it is, I have multiple people to this, apparently it is seen as... Um, an, an act of cowardice or submission to take the knee in Russia, and that's why Kvyat didn't do it. Uh, a friend of the show, Hazel Safa, who I want to point out is, is of Georgian descent, um, said, made a very valid point that, as far as she's concerned, that it would have been an even more powerful gesture if he had taken the knee, and 
again, if you if you want to take the nuance out of what this desymbolizes, then again, you're being ignorant to this problem. I saw, and the, the yeah. thing is that like it, it it that's not a part of just Russian culture. That's that's a Western thing too. Yeah, there's a reason, like like you know, medieval past. Like obviously, people are gonna bring up Game of Thrones because that's like. Most people reference. This is the first time I've heard about Game of Thrones in what seems like fifty years. Yeah, yeah. because like obviously they they you know to to bend the knee that is something from medieval European it, culture. It is just to submit. It is yeah, to it, submit. It, it's not just a Russian thing. Right. Him saying that is complete bullshit. <laughs> King is not normally this spicy, so if King says it's complete BS, I that know is, it's complete BS. Yeah, um, it, it is complete BS. It's. You know, I, I don't. I don't. I, 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 I had to see Chris Harris do the exact same thing from Top Gear like last week, and again, I love it was Rory Reed, his former work colleague, that had to call him out indirectly on Twitter, and basically making the point of look at the racists you're attracting to your, you know, to to your own timeline and getting to agree with you when you say, and I think it was something yeah. on the lines of, and I quote, "It's a slippery slope where if you want to make out that." If people aren't doing a need, they, they don't support this gesture. And I'm like, but that's just it, Chris. If they're not willing to do it in public, you know, I'm, I'm going to have questions to ask as to why. A, a very good <laughs> a very good barometer for how your statement reads with something like that is, what are your replies like? Yeah. And, like I, again, I, I, I'll point out the exact tweet in question to get to people you can't see. It provides the full context. This was on July 14th, two days ago. It was a tweet that's from Roy Reed saying he was on the Car For All podcast um, with a couple of guys. We talked smelliest cars, why he left Top Gear, racism and the, in the auto industry and arm wrestling. Um, some guy tweets him saying, thank God you're not on Top Gear. Um, and the same person replied to a tweet from Chris Harris on July 5th. And the Harris tweet goes, Slippery slope when people are told that unless they perform a specific gesture, they are not acknowledging a problem or respectful of a situation. Have to respect the rights of the individual. To which the same person who replied to Rory's tweet saying, Thank God you're not on Top Gear, said, and I quote, Well said, painting cars black and making people kneel in submission is disgraceful. Hashtag white lives matter. And all Rory had to do was put a thinking emoji on top of that picture. And it says it all. Yeah. Also, ladies and gentlemen... Big all yikes. Also, ladies and gentlemen, Rory Reid is the best Top Gear presenter ever. I will take no further discussions at this time. Um, Rory Reid is a man. Yeah. Shout out my namesake. Yes. Um, also worth noting, uh, yeah, Charles just confirmed Ferrari will have no new upgrades this weekend. He'll just be bringing stuff from last week. Fuck off. Ooh, it's <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's uh, not ideal, oh. to say the least. Um, but, uh, yeah, again... This is not going to go away, people, and if you think we're going to stop talking about it, then this is not the show for you, as far as I'm concerned, because I know a lot of people were tweeting me today, saying, oh, oh, oh we're just, we're just, we're just dividing, you know, we're just being divisive. No, we're being critical of people's lack of action or inaction in general. We are allowed to do that. We're, div we're dividing out the bullshit. Right. And just getting it away. Ex yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And we are capable of doing that. As both. I said it the last time out. It is not a political issue. It is a human rights issue. Yeah, just like coronavirus isn't just a political opinion. Just like yeah, racism corona... is not just a political opinion. 
Viruses don't care where they come from, where you think they came from, or why. They just care about infecting you. Man. But we'll get to that later. People are dumb online. (laughs) Right. Should we talk Formula 2 and Formula 3 real quick? Yeah, let's do it, King. Let's do it. Oh. Formula Two's back in stock. We had to wait a while to get the feature race in, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, because it was it was after Formula One qualifying, which that was already delayed, and it the feature race was under threat of being called early. You know, due to darkness. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't quite get into just how wet it was for F1 qualifying. It was qualifying, soaking goddamn wet. They canceled FP3. It's like the worst conditions I think I've seen in an F1 weekend that didn't involve an actual fucking typhoon. Yeah. <laughs> this was this was it was borderline cool it for like a good couple of hours on Saturday morning. Yeah, they uh Somehow they got the race in, gave uh, time for, for Alex Jakes and his new co-commentator to get some time into vamp. Yuki Tsunoda started from pole, and it looked like he was going to win this oh, race God. until his radio broke. Oh. They're asking him to come into the pits repeatedly, and he's not coming in. All of a sudden, his times are falling off, just as a group of Guan Yu Zhou and Robert Schwartzman have already come in and pitted. And right around this time, Schwartzman put a brilliant overtake on Guan Yu Zhou to take net second he tore, place. He tore Zhou's heart out. Yeah, that was a great pass. Which then Tsunoda. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, um, Schwartzman does eventually come out of the pits ahead of Tsunoda. Uh, comes out, comes out behind Schwartzman. I should say. Uh, Give credit to Sonoda. He was giving it everything to try and catch up, and it looked like he might have caught him at the very end. He gets past Joe. He gets the back of Schwartzman, but it just isn't enough. Robert Schwartzman is a first-time Formula 2 race winner. Yo. Yo. Oh, my lord. Yeah, that, um... I like Sonoda just burned his tires off in the frenzy to try and chase him down. Which I don't blame. And even then, they blew his uh, they blew his pit stop because had they not uh, had a bad pit stop, he would have come out probably right behind, uh, right behind or right ahead of Schwartzman. Yeah, he would have been like in DRS range. It would have been a lot closer. Yeah. Ultimately, the gap was one point five seconds. Uh, that was a that I think that was well worth it. Uh, both Prima cars were in a move, and of course, Robert Schwartzman paying tribute to his late father after the race. Um course he lost his dad over the uh over the extended break that we had um so good to see that good to see schwartzman take the victory um schwartzman wins ahead of sunoda guan yujo settles for third Mick schumacher comes from ninth into fourth Callum islet backs up his I feature race say so we had been relentlessly talking shit at Mick Schumacher for not going for the aggressive overtake. 
Well, he was making moves today. Yeah, he about oh he's he's way too timid behind other people, and clearly he clearly got really mad after hearing us because he was putting move after move on bitches. It was brilliant. Yeah, he was listening. He was watching some of his dad's tapes. Love to see that. You know, you've got to watch the film. Definitely. Definitely. Christian Lundgaard uh, sits place ahead of his ART teammate Marcus Armstrong. Seventh, Dan Tictum. Eighth, he picks up the reverse grid pole for the sprint. Jack Cake in a ninth, and Sean Galeo rounds out the top ten in the feature in the sprint. Well, do we want to talk about what happened to Mick this time? Yeah, because he he was, you know, in good position to have a great race result. Uh, It actually looked like he was going to get on the podium too yeah he was running in third behind lundgaard and tickton sad unfortunate circumstances made sure that podium was denied what kind of sad and unfortunate circumstances so on these cars and a lot well almost every single seater has a nice little pull cord a nice little lanyard that will engage the the onboard fire extinguisher mainly it's used by the marshals i rarely ever see it used in europe it's mainly an indie car i see it used uh but in this case a nice large rubble marble that that came off a tire on a car got kicked up by mick's car hit the lanyard and engage the fire extinguisher <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Mick is having no luck this and year. Due to the safety regulations, you're not allowed to continue the race with an empty fire extinguisher, so Schumacher was forced to retire from the yeah. race. And he wasn't yeah. the only big one because Schwartzman and Sunoda were both out within the first 10 laps. Schwartzman spun in the opening lap, and Sunoda's car broke down. Quality control. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. This is like this is like games with random mechanical failures. After <laughs> yeah, start of the race. Uh, shortly after Lundgaard gets the jump on Tictum and he converts it into his first win by two seconds. Um, Christian Lundgaard, I think we made the point last week that like, hey, as much as we're hyping up Guan Yu Zhou, Christian Lundgaard might be as good, if not better. I read an article on Formula Scout say, comparing Lundgaard's trajectory to that of Lando Norris. He's quite good, is yeah. this kid. He had uh, a good showing this weekend. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tictum in second, Armstrong third, Joe in fourth, Islet fifth, Aitken sits, Galeo in seventh, Nikita Mazepin in eighth? Yeah. yeah. Sure, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, as far as how that affects the, uh, the Drivers' Championship in Formula 2... Schwartzman still leads despite the first lap accident in the sprint. It's a five-point lead. He leads Christian Lundgaard 48 points to 43. Lundgaard is ahead of Eilat on countback. He's also at 43 points. Dan Tictum is fourth on 36 points, and Marcus Armstrong is fifth on 34 points. Joe is sixth on 27. Sunoda with 24. Felipe Dragovich, no scores this weekend, but still remains eighth in the standings ahead of Louis Delatraz with a scoreless weekend in ninth. Mick Schumacher rounds out the top ten with 14 points. Yes, and while Schwarzman may have championship lead, we've had four winners in four different races. It is still anyone's championship. Watch Formula 2. 
Actually, watch Formula Three, but don't watch the first race because uh, <laughs> that was no. that was that was a nothing burger of an event. Um, good for Frederick Vesti getting his first win, even if it was half distance. And Vesti is Mark. the Vesti. Zesty Frederick Vesti, uh, eleven laps in, takes the win, gets only half points for it. Uh, race two, though, King. Yeah, <laughs> we got to talk about race two. This was some damn wild shit because it looks like with about five laps to go that it's going to be either Liam Lawson, the Red Bull Junior, or the gatekeeper Jake Hughes. Yeah, the twenty-six-year-old in Formula Three. Yes, he, he he is he is the Thomas Lutie of Formula he really Three. Is. <laughs> yep. As they're going for the lead, uh, they come together in turn five, and all of a sudden. One of these youngins comes through, Teo Porcher, claiming oh, the victory. Man. The, the Porcher. <laughs> the the Potato Man is back. I should remind everybody he was born in the year two thousand and three. The pain. Two thousand and three. Yes. Oh. Yeah, we mentioned it before. This man has no living memories of the old Hockenheim circuit. Not that he needs them. Porsche oh, wins. Logan Sargent in second, giving us some American pride in sport. And David Beckman, not that David Beckman, in third, rounding off the podium. Uh, Richard for short in fourth. Oscar Piastri fifth. Ollie Caldwell sixth. Max Futrell seventh. Frederick Vesti eighth. Sebastian Fernandez ninth. And Liram Sedelli in tenth. How's the top five in the championship looking? Oscar Piastri still has the points lead, 44 points, but Frederick Vesti not far behind in second on 37 and a half. Logan Sargent remains third on 34 points. David Beckman fourth on 31 and a half. And Richard Vershore, the Macau Grand Prix winner for sure, fifth in the standings on 27 points. And of course, F2 and F3 are going to be back in Hungary for more of this mess. And just one last thing to make you feel old. Uh, Theo Pocher is sponsored by McDonald's, and there's another notable French driver who was sponsored by McDonald's. The year Pocher was born, Sebastian Bourdais, in his McDonald's McDonald's Newman Haas car, was Rookie of the Year in CART. The last year it was called CART. Um, you had to get oh, the Sebastian Bourdais plug in there. Of course. Yes, I did. Yeah, he, it's, it, I, I'm contractually obligated. <laughs> what do you mean contractually obligated? <laughs> You're under contract? By McDonald's. <laughs> right. Cer- certainly not Certainly not contracted by Sealmaster. Of course not. Oh, no. no. Unless Sealmaster wants to pay up. Come on. <laughs> They're already giving all their money to Santino. Folks, <laughs> oh. we gotta get out of here. Yeah. Right. So... Impromptu call in the middle of the recording. We're going to split this up again. So, in part two of this doubleheader recording, we're going to talk all about IndyCar, the Rev Group GP at Road America, both races from there, as well as the news. And there is a lot of news to get through, so should be some fun stuff in there as well. So, yeah, we're going to split this one up. I'll have a little neater intro for part two coming up in this in a second. But uh, thanks to everyone that's listening into this part. Basically, you can find us real quick. YouTube, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Check out Fast Talkers with Jenny Gaff if you haven't already. Twitter at Harrison101HD. At Ryan Eric King. At CBuckley917. At C the Harday. 
and at RJ O'Connell. Our podcast Twitter itself is at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to back us financially on Patreon, you can. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Krista Harday, RJ O'Connell, Ryan King, and Cam Buckley. Until next time, which is actually in a couple of minutes' time, actually. Uh, until then, thanks very much for listening. I'll catch you guys soon. Sayonara. Later, y'all. See you in a bit. Like right now.